Hello, hello. I know there's nobody here. But welcome for those listening to the playback. Hope you enjoy our show as it gets ready to unfold. Hey, hey sounds like there's somebody. Hey, Kate, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I did it. I, am, I figured out. You I'm did alive. it. You got it. You got it. You got it. Look at that. You got it. Sorry, I, I, I don't know if you responded to my email earlier because I was like oh, I didn't literally back. Oh, okay, good. All right. I was back to back all day. So after I responded to you, I, I was just so super busy. Uh, but you got it. You got it. So we are, we'll get, we'll get started in about five minutes or so. I'm just going to get right. the room set up. I see Anil. Anil, what's going on, my friend? Good to see you. Well, good to How's see you. How's it going? How's it Hey, Anya, how are you? Hey, Kate. How's it going? It's, uh, I think we met several years ago, but I've been, been a big fan ever since. So. Oh, thank you. My goodness. It's going to be fun. It's my first um I've listened to a lot of Clubhouse things, and I've listened to Tomas's as well. But this is my nice. first one uh, on the other side of it. So I had a lot of coffee. Uh, I'm going to be a little bit hyped up. <laughs> oh, you're a pro. You'll be fine. <laughs> Kate is a celebrity. She is oh, exactly she, exactly she on TV. I, I, I was gonna say, wait, is she the first guest that we've had that's been on TV? No, we've had we've had others, but I think I don't know. Kate has been probably the the one that's been on TV the most, maybe. So there you go. Really? Celebrity status. God, you know, I've tried to like show my kids my my TV clips before, and mm-hmm. they're like they're like this is so boring. <laughs> So no matter what, uh, I always get brought right back down to earth. <laughs> Don't That's worry. Funny. That is funny. We always need we always need like, somebody to keep us humble, yeah, right? Like put the cartoons back on. Oh my god. There you go. <laughs> it's like mom, nobody wants to see you. We want to see the cartoons. Can you please change the channel? Exactly. Exactly. Well, I'll give you a funny tidbit. I I still remember I did a board presentation, um, and I think later that afternoon. You were on CNBC talking about the Capital One breach, and oh. it, it's, it's it strengthened my position uh, because okay. some of my, some of our executives were former Capital One execs, so that it was uh, perfect. That was an interesting one. That one's still kind of still waiting. It's an interesting to one too, there. right? Yeah, mm-hmm. I had Am- Amazon shake it in their boots a little bit. Oh, I bet. I bet. <laughs> oh man. Who do we have? Hey, Russell. Look at Russell with the new avatar. Yeah. Are we, so just so I know, Tomas, I know, are we actually started or do we need to like, is there like a formal so, kickoff period or something? There, there is. There's a formal kickoff. Okay. I'll, I'll get us started. So usually what I do and, and is I'll get us sort of started as we get closer to 8 p.m. Eastern time. And then we'll kick off. Um, actually, well, why don't I just kick off? some of the uh, logistical items get them out of the way for them i'm just looking in the audience to see who's here and there's a lot of regulars here so uh they all know this but for your benefit um <laughs> we'll we'll sort of kick off I'll, there's some guardrails or or i don't want to call them ground rules but just some guardrails around the conversation that i'll that i'll lay out and then uh we'll ask you questions for about 30 to 45 minutes or so and i say we because there will be other moderators that that join us and and sort of work with me on this panel and and they make the you know they make this this fireside chat the weekly fireside chat uh what it is 
Um, so we'll ask you questions about 30 to 45 minutes or so. Then we open up for the audience to, to jump up on stage. So they'll raise their hand. It's a little icon on there where they can raise their hand and then we'll bring them up and they'll ask you questions. Um, okay. We don't know what they're going to ask you. Uh-oh. <laughs> and we don't know what the moderators <laughs> are going to ask you. So it, it's a free flowing conversation, but this is really meant to be that middle of the week you know, let your hair, let your hair down. Let's have a great conversation, very candid and open. This is being recorded. So I just want to make sure that you know that. Um, All right. I'll so keep the cursing uh, to a minimum. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't, I don't actually care about the cursing, but, yeah. uh, I, <laughs> Let's keep it but, um, but, you know, it is being recorded. So it will, it could be played back for people. We have people that sort of are part of the fireside chat group. Um, that are overseas or, you know, in Europe or Australia and others, and they sort of tend to listen at different times of the, of the day. So, um, so it's, that's been beneficial since they've added that feature, uh, because it was one of the questions that we used to get all the time. They're like, Tomas, we, I miss your fireside chat, but it was really, I wanted to hear that guest. And I was like, you have to be here, be live, you know, like the old days, right? It's like not recorded. You gotta be <laughs> I know. Present. <laughs> um, but anyways, why don't, why don't I sort of uh, start getting uh, getting the room ready and, and, and people will sort of file in. So again, if you're new to our, our, our weekly fireside chat, this is this is uh, we do this every Wednesday between 8 p.m. Eastern time and 9.30 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, our comments and opinions are our own and do not really re- do not represent our current or prior employer. So we ask that you do keep that in mind uh, as we go through the uh, through the discussion today. Um, Carl, we're going to have why fun. Mascot. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> that was funny. Hang on, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna quickly just, just, mute, just mute you. I have no Sorry. idea why they're these mascots, but um, so as we, as we go through today's, uh, today's uh, session, um, you know, let's have a good time. Let's have a really good open conversation. If there are any vendors in the audience, and I'm sure there will be some that that pop up on stage at some point in time, you know, we ask that you please don't solicit us. Uh, during the conversation today, use save that for another time. Really use this as an opportunity to get to know our guest this evening. And, I, and our guest is Kate Fazzini, who's the Director of Information Security uh, at Ziff Davis, uh, which is a publishing company, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and we'll get into that in, in a lot more detail. Uh, the last thing I'll say is on the top left of your screen where it says Fireside Chat, again, if you are new to our Fireside Chat, there's a little greenhouse that says right next to that Fireside Chat, it looks like a little green Monopoly house. You can click that and join our Fireside Chat Club. Uh, it'll, uh, one, allow you to see all the playbacks or listen to all the playbacks uh, from our prior guests. It'll allow you to see who's the upcoming guest. So without further ado, why don't we kick off? It is 801. So Kate, I'm going to leave you for last. Uh, we're going to go around the room and sort of introduce ourselves. So I'm Tomas Maldonado. I'm the CISO at the NFL. Anil, over to you. Thanks, Tomas. Uh, Neil Varghese, uh, currently serving as a virtual CISO, former uh, six-time CISO and co-author of the CISO Mentor. On to you, Russell. Thanks, Neil. Really appreciate it. Hey, Russell Eubanks here. I do a lot of contracting with companies like Sands and Ions and do a lot of cyber work. But the last couple of years have been focusing on helping people through my company, Security Ever After, get their first CISO job. Lisa Beth, over to you. Hey, hey, everyone. It's Wednesday. Uh, my name is Lisa Beth Lentini Walker. I'm a compliance, ethics, and corporate governance geek. Um, I really love those areas. And I always value the time we spend together on Wednesday nights. Um, I run the consulting firm Lumen Worldwide Endeavors, and I wrote a book um, called Raise Your Game, Not Your Voice. 
And I'm going to turn it over to Katie, my friend, to introduce herself. Hello, I'm Katie Hanahan. I'm always working to raise my game. Love being on this stage every week and, and sharing in this community. Kate, welcome. I'm so excited for this conversation. Um, I am a, a VP of Cybersecurity Strategy, a VCSO, um, and, uh, you know, a, a, a I think almost every week contributor to this stage. I'm just so happy to uh, be here tonight. Over to you, Tomas. Thank you, Katie. And I can I can say it right now. I'm going to mix up your name, Kate. I will probably call you Katie. I'm sorry. It's not my fault. I don't do it on purpose. But um, we have a Katie on stage, so it's, I'm sure that's going to happen. I'm going to try my hardest not to mess that up. Uh, so Kate Fazzini, uh, I've known Kate since... Wow, it feels like, oh, wow, a long time since, I want to say I was at Chase from 2011 to 2015. Kate, we overlapped during that, during my tenure there. So it's been that long since I've known you, but you've had a fascinating career since you, since you uh, left Chase. And I'm sure we'll get into that. But Kate, what I want to add, what I want to, what I would like you to do, and, and I'll, uh, I muted you, so if you look on the bottom right of your screen, you'll see the the, the microphone bar. You can unmute yourself. Uh, if not, I will unmute. Uh, actually, I can't unmute you. You need to do it yourself. Okay, um, there, there it is. Yeah. So, <laughs> Thank you. So, you know, why don't you take a moment and introduce yourself? And I'll ask that while you're going through that introduction, and you can take as much time as you want, why don't you tell us about your origin story? Sure. So, um I, I guess I'll start with uh, who I am today. <laughs> but, uh, so I, I serve as the Director of Information Security Operations and Engineering at Ziff Davis. Um, some of you, I think, are probably gamers, so uh, you know IGN um, and Humble Bundle and some of those properties. Um, PCE Mag is one of our properties as well. Um, and besides that, we have a cloud services business. We have a, a, a significant healthcare business, um, and it's a really interesting place to, to be. It's um, uh, just many different companies, many different industries, and uh, overseeing that from the, the, the central um, operation. So I just love it. Um, uh, but before that, I had, uh, I've, I've been in private practice. I've been um, a, a private client cybersecurity advisor. Um, and uh, before that, I, I, I did um, some time uh, as a cybersecurity reporter for the Wall Street Journal. Um, and then for CNBC, uh, I was their um, cybersecurity specialist. I did the, the write-ups and the on-air stuff. Um, and uh, that was sort of a hiatus. I, I have been in cybersecurity for a very long time. Um, as Tomas said, I worked with him at Chase. In fact, we were cubicle mates um, in a cubicle farm uh, right next to each other for a while. I think um, I saw you arguing with David Fairman a few times, but um, I'll... <laughs> Keep those conversations that is, confidential. Yeah, thank you. I was going to say <laughs> that is funny. And uh, and I'm sure David, when he listens to this, he'll start cracking up about that. But I do remember, I, I, I really distinctly remember, Tomas, that I, uh, you know, thought this guy's definitely going somewhere because you really were always standing up yourself and um, you were always there. Like you were always at your desk. You were always plugging away. So um, I, I'm glad to say uh, my instincts were right. Um, and uh, so uh, I also spent some time, I worked at Promontory Financial Group, which is now a part of IBM, doing consulting work um, as well for some of the big uh, big tech companies like Microsoft. Um, and I, I teach at Georgetown. I teach at Yeshiva University here in Manhattan as well, um, cyber warfare and intelligence. 
Um, so that's kind of my background. My origin story is a little bit different. Um, I actually grew up in Amish country in Ohio, um, and uh, not Amish myself, but uh, my whole family are kind of uh, our background is in coal mining, and so through West Virginia and Ohio, um, uh, my family members are from. And uh, I was in a very rural area, and so I got into technology because, um, for some of you on this call. Uh, who are of a certain age, like I am, you might remember that uh, back when the phone companies, um, you know, had had long distance rates, even for towns that were very close to each other. Um, this meant that it was very hard for me as a young lady to call my girlfriend. So um, I got a hold of uh, some some hacker manuals and uh, how to do black boxes and, and bypass the long distance phone uh, system. Um, and that actually was my entree into technology was wanting to spend hours on the phone with my girlfriends um, out in the country. Uh, and they worked. So I was the hero of my of my um, my friends for quite some time. Um, but that that got me into technology. And uh, I ended up um, I was an English major actually in college. Um, but then uh, I um, worked at the I went to Ohio State University um, and I worked at the uh, the, the main um, computer retail store there and I helped supply the Ohio Supercomputer Lab. Um, and it was just sort of this dual uh, thing that ended up dovetailing really well later on. So um, I guess that's sort of my story and uh, I'll, I'll kick it back to you, Tomas. Thank you. No, that's that's great, and 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 I did not know about the uh, sort of growing up in in Amish country, uh, Ohio. <laughs> so I'm sure I'm sure there's going to be some questions about that because that that is interesting. But I'll, I just I'll got pass. back from there. Actually, I go every year, so I, we were out there for two weeks, um, and uh, I just got back uh, this this week. So with my kids, um, it was great. So it's fresh on my mind, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. And and just uh, quickly for you, when you see us sort of flashing our microphones, that's us sort of doing a, I'll call it a clap if you are applauding, if you are. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, uh, Neil, I'll pass it to you. Thanks, Tomas. Uh, Kate, you know, that's great to hear about your background. It sounds like you're one of those original phone freaks, and that's P-H-R-E-A-K. Um, but great to hear that 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 story. You know, and as I mentioned before, I've been a fan of uh, coverage media from CNBC and The Journal. Uh, one thing I wanted to understand from your perspective, you've worked on both sides of the fence, you know, covering the, the cybercrime beat. Uh, what do you feel... You know, and as also from an internal perspective, is an area that isn't hasn't got enough media coverage or attention that's warranted in its industry right now. Well, I think I, you know, one of the things that um, when I when I had just as a private client service, what that was so huge was business email compromise, um, and you know these these crimes. You know, if uh, I'm sure that everybody on this call is, is well aware of what I'm talking about, but if there's anybody who's listening to this, I'm just going to do a quick, you know, overview. It's just a wire fraud facilitated through email, essentially by spoofing, uh, say, a legal professional and asking for, you know, um, the, you to wire money uh, for the down payment on a house or something else. Um, often it has to do with uh, contractor payments or, you know, somebody will impersonate a technology company and email a large company and say, you, you know, send our, send your bill to here. Um, these crimes are really devastating to individuals. Um, you know, they often strike uh, individuals who are in the middle of a home purchase or very small business owners, individual business owners 
because it is easier to target those individual people. I, I really, I tried to cover more of those kinds of stories when I was at CNBC, the, the, the stories that really had a heavy impact on individuals. Because of course, when, when money is lost in that manner, uh, it's, it's very difficult to recover it. Um, and, and still, I would like to see more coverage of that. I think, I, honestly, I feel like there's a little bit too much coverage of the nation state stuff um, in, in the sense that it's happening all the time. And yes, it's very serious, but um, does it have an impact on most everyday people's lives? Um, I mean, yeah, there's an argument that it could, but I think that, that these kinds of crimes that a lot of people don't really know about, they're not expecting, um, they're just so pervasive. And I've seen some really tragic stories come out of those. So yeah, I would love to see more coverage of that. Oh, that's great. Appreciate that insight. And as like you said, as you highlighted, right, nation states are there and it's never, it's not going to go away. Uh, but BEC hits home, right? I think for whether it's a small shop or a larger corporate entity or multinational, uh, it's going to be top of mind. So I appreciate you sharing that. Uh, on to you, Russell. Awesome. Thanks. Anyway, Kate, so wonderful to get to know you. I love the things that you shared. Uh, took me back on memory lane a little bit. I remember when I first wanted to get into <laughs> cyber, I subscribed and got a physical copy of PC Mag, and I go to the beach on vacation. I'd be reading that, and everybody else would be doing beach things. I was so uh, so into tech back then, or, or wanted to be. I, I just, uh, wow, I hadn't thought about that in, in such a long time. Uh, and what a journey this this like paradigm between you know Amish to supercomputers and that that uh, continuum back and forth uh, has just got me fascinated. I hope we get to talk about that. But my, my question to you though is you you talk about uh, this idea, this concept that you teach on, that you discuss on, you hold space on with respect to cyber warfare. That leads me to my question. Finally, the question is 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 it a war really? And and if it is, is there a winnable state? Is there a place where we can win, or is it just trying to not lose? How should we think about that? How do you encourage us to think about that concept of cyber war? Well, that's interesting. Um, I think you know, as uh, as we know in this space, that it's so much broader than often people think of it. I mean, even um, until very recently, cybersecurity was sort of a discrete part of you know, information security, which was uh, yet another discrete part of a, a larger thing. But, you know, we have, there, there, there's like a really widespread of, of stuff that happens. And I think, um, is there a war? That's an interesting question. I think that, uh, I think, yes. I think that cyber warfare as a tool, when, when I talk about cyber warfare, it's ci cyber, um, I, 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 <laughs> having to use the word hacking because people really hate it. But, um, you know, good. I'm trying to <laughs> cyber threats as a tool of war. Um, for instance, when you see uh, Russia softening up um, areas in Ukraine through um, ransomware attacks, uh, you know, which, which of course happened with the NotPetya attack several years ago, um, going as far back to Estonia in 2007, uh, there was a dispute between Russia and Estonia, and uh, Russia used um, their their cyber capacity to a heavily networked country to pride themselves on it to take down quite a bit of critical infrastructure that was based around this this digital um, idea that Estonia had and. Um, you know, this is the reason why the, the NATO um, Cybersecurity Center is based in, in Tallinn in, in Estonia. And um, so when I, when I talk about cyber warfare, I, I do mean anything digital as a, a tool of a war. And I think that we're going to be seeing it more and more, especially as um, 
kind of a preemptive measure, especially since, sorry, that was my, um, that was my bedtime reminder. I'm so embarrassed. <laughs> yes, it is 8.15 Eastern time, but um, I have, I have had some coffee, so I think I'll be good. Um, so, uh, uh, so cyber warfare as a, as a tool, um, there isn't really a convention around it currently. There is no Geneva Convention um, around cybersecurity. And so because of that, um, there's a lot more plausible deniability. If a country wants to um, preemptively attack, uh, say, um, our electrical infrastructure, um, there are lots of ways to do that and not, not take direct responsibility for it. So it could cause chaos. Um, it could cause sort of a softening around the edges of the, the country that would, would um, want to be attacked. And for that reason, I see it as a, you know, I, I also see IP theft as a tool of that because having trade secrets and government secrets ahead of a physical conflict is a significant advantage. It's intelligence gathering. Um, espionage in some ways is, is also a tool of warfare. Uh, but, you know, not everything is warfare. However, we also do see that the criminality that, that has come out of Russia and Eastern Europe, um, very difficult to prosecute, very difficult to, to have people who have been indicted, extradited um, to the United States to stand trial. Um, and, you know, because of that, you have, you have in, you know, Vladimir Putin, somebody who um, is able to say, uh, you know, I have all of these extremely talented hackers all across the country doing significant business um, in a criminal enterprise, if I ever need to call on them after they've hacked a bank or have hacked um, into uh, a major, you know, car manufacturer to get information about my enemies or get information uh, for a strategic advantage, um, he has access to that. And so there, you know, there's a little bit of um, a, a line that is very blurry between those two things. And so um, while not everything is certainly, I think, qualified as cyber warfare, but this email compromise is, um, you know, not usually a tool of that. It's just a criminal enterprise. Um, there's a there's a lot of ambiguity. So I hope that, <laughs> that was a long answer to a short question. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, don't apologize. That was fascinating. I, my <laughs> takeaway from that, uh, Kate, is that the language, the vocabulary of a tool of warfare. I'm going to stick to that, and I really appreciate that. Uh, so, so thank you, uh, thank you very much, uh, Lisa Beth. Awesome. Over to you. Yeah, I, I I love the clarification about the fuzziness of it all. Um, mm -hmm. so, so my question for you is, in a world that is brittle, uncertain, et cetera, where there is a lot of fuzziness, how do you gain clarity and how do you help teams gain clarity about um, where the focus should be in, in life, right? In work mm -hmm. and in life. Yeah, it's really tough, um, and it's been a it's been an extraordinarily tough couple of years for, for a lot of people. And um, as a mother, I I struggled a lot during the pandemic just to balance the utter insanity of it all. And and so I think I certainly came away with a new um, sensitivity to like really focusing on making sure that my my employees hopefully have have a good work life balance. Um, and I think more importantly, I've I've taken to making sure that I'm asking um, everybody, whether they work for me or not, 
um, you know, what do they actually want to do? My students as well, um, who I have conversations with, you know, what, what do you actually want to do in this career? Like, and, and sometimes people are surprised to be asked that question. <laughs> like, uh, you know, they're, they're sort of like, especially if they're meeting with you as a manager, it's, it's more of, you know, they're used to the day-to-day thing. But, um, it, it, like, I think it's important to find out what each person wants to actually do and accomplish, even if it's, even if it's not um, – <clears throat> something related to cybersecurity, because I've had employees say things like, you know, I want to leave a legacy. Um, and I kind of don't know what that is. And I've said, well, look, you know, you, you can take all of this good work you've been doing and start putting it into white papers. And here's how that's organized. And then you can submit that and you can have it published. And that's, you know, what you're, what, what you're leaving behind about your knowledge is just finding out what people actually want to do and then helping them to get to that point is like, it seems to, to get so much more productivity out of people. That makes it sound like I'm exploiting that thing. But, you know, it, it does really, it, it motivates people because I, then I, I want to put tasks in front of them that help it, it, a single other stepping stone toward getting them to where they are and that, that goal that they want to do. Um, and I think that's, that's what's important today because people have come out of the pandemic with new priorities. Um, and, you know, it's, it's difficult um, you know, no matter who you're working for, it's very difficult to say like, uh, no, I need you on this call because, you know, somebody did something really dumb and a manager is upset and they need you to, to fix it right now at nine o'clock at night and you've just tucked your kids in. And, you know, it's, it's very difficult for people to um, prioritize that anymore, I think. Uh, and I think um, going forward, it's just managing the expectation of like, we need to focus on, you know, the really meaningful things that are going to protect this company, protect our people, um, and that make a lot of sense and get rid of all of the noise that, that drives um, people away from jobs in cybersecurity, like the 24-7 schedule. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think uh, that's kind of my answer. Um, I do think that the 24-7 grind of a lot of cybersecurity jobs, like kind of has to come to an end. That's one of my, um, <laughs> one of my big things, I think. Uh, couldn't agree more. Cause if we're working 24 <laughs> seven, there's nothing left in that buck in that bucket to pour from. Absolutely. Um, so I, I really appreciate that. I am on a mission with you, uh, to say <laughs> enough is enough. Um, and that we mm. need to be a little bit more rational about, how we treat the brains and um, the assets that we're entrusted in terms of human beings. Um, So let me pass it on to Katie. Thank you, Lisa Beth. um, And and hi, Kate. Um, I'm good. I'm so happy to to see you here. I I have a lot of questions um, uh, just because I I do find it really interesting. You growing up in Amish country. I grew up in a a town of 550 people, which is now- Yours is smaller than mine, actually. See, I love, oh, Illinois. Yeah. 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 Illinois. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, not Amish uh, at all, but um, I did work in the diner at a lot of farmers, just a lot of farmers. <laughs> um, and, and so I do appreciate that aspect of your story. Um, also, the, fundamentally, that initially when you came into this industry, it was about 
connection. Find that super interesting that you ended up in a field where you are tasked with connecting people with thoughts and ideas around this industry that I love so much. So thank you for mm -hmm. that. You said also the word legacy and I don't, I just have to ask, I mean, I'm just curious um, because you've done so much already for, for this industry and for, for uh, women in this industry, for, for people from small towns like ours. Thank you very much. <laughs> but, what, but what do you want your legacy to be in light oh, of what you've learned in the last several years in this industry? Oh, that's really interesting. I, um, God, that makes me kind of sad too, because I, I'm actually turning what am I going to be? Forty-two in like a couple of weeks, days, Kate, days Kate, away. Kate, <laughs> Kate, Kate, Kate. Uh, don't be sad. Be very happy. Okay, okay. there's not like, forty-two I is fine. I will, Katie. <laughs> well, no, we'll get, we'll get one of the lawyers in the audience to do I'm that for kidding. you. We have a few yeah, here tonight. Exactly. We'll we'll get them to do that for you. Because because since you're so old, since you're almost forty-two. Yeah. I know, I know. Um, so uh, I think um, you know one of the things I've actually spoken about before. I don't think I've ever done it this publicly, but I have done it at events um, where I've done keynotes and stuff. But um, so I'm actually a survivor of domestic violence myself, um, and. Uh, that's played a kind of big role in shaping who I am and, you know, how I, I kind of come to, to view things and, um, and view people and, and taking them from, from one level and to the next. And so I think if I wanted my legacy to be anything, it would be just um, bringing a lot of people um, into the fold of this field um, who are coming from backgrounds where, uh, you know, they, they, they need to have that chance, that chance of getting into a really good industry. And I, I try to hire people like that, people who are just hungry for something. Um, I, you know, there are a lot of people uh, who, um, you know, they come from difficult backgrounds and, and because of that have this very natural paranoia um, as I do, uh, but, but that was sort of cultivated maybe by bad experiences, but that comes in very handy in this field where you are able to look at um, a situation. For instance, your company is acquiring um, a new, like little tiny, let's say, healthcare blog. Um, you can think of all of the 500,000 different things that will go wrong. <laughs> like you already know that. Um, with Roe v. Wade, there's going to be a privacy issue involved with anybody who's talking about their pregnancy and stuff. And you know that um, there could be a HIPAA issue, so we need to make sure that there's not going, you know, you just have all of that stuff in your mind as soon as you hear what's going to happen. Um, and and I, I love bringing people like that into the field because um, so many people, and, and there, there are a lot of people I know who are on this call probably in, who, I, who I know in my career who will hate me for saying this, but you know, you don't, you don't have to be that technical to get a really nice job in this field, N not a technical job. I'm, you know, if you're an architect, you, you are an engineer and you've had a, a heavy technical background and, um, but there are project managers, program managers, um, you know, uh, people who uh, do all kinds of governance and risk responsibilities that um, are very, it's, it's just a matter of training people up into their natural, tendencies you know um and 
I, I would love to be known and remembered for welcoming. I, I, I have worked with some domestic violence groups to um, create training programs and things um, that they could uh, help people transition their careers. Um, a lot of women that come in to these different organizations uh, have not been working for years or have had some, you know, aspect of financial abuse and uh, where they they uh, don't have, um, you know, they haven't had access to money. They haven't uh, been in the banking system and stuff. So, you know, there's a little bit of, of learning, a learning curve. Um, but once that's overcome, uh, you know, it's this this field is a really beautiful one to be self-sufficient and to, to carve out your own path and still get paid for it. Um, so, yeah, I think that's something that's really important to me. Oh, Kate, uh, thank you for that. Um, I'm a little bit taken aback because I just, I, I love what you just said so much. By the way, I've mentioned this one other time. I also am a domestic violence survivor myself. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to hear And that. I am sorry that you had to go through that as well. But what mm -hmm. I, what I find so inspiring and what I really appreciate about what you're saying is that um, out of adversity comes these, you know, skill sets that actually are very beneficial to someone's field potentially. Uh, the fact you said natural paranoia, uh, the ability to, to be able to look at something and cognitively say, okay, I believe there is a risk here. Now, you know, I'm, I'm detached enough emotionally from it to be able to say, um, you know, here is a risk. And that the fact that you're dedicating so much time uh, to now like, you know, looking for those skills that are in women who have also come through something like that is to me, extremely amazing. I'm sure we'll have a conversation offline about mm -hmm. that. And I only said it publicly myself as well, because I feel it's extremely brave of you to say that. It's hard for me to say it sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I uh, am just so inspired by the other women in our field who have persevered through it and are now honing in on the skill set that we've gotten as a result of. I find that extremely fascinating. I was almost a little taken aback. Um, what I'm going to do real quick um, is I'm going to reset the room just so that everybody knows this is a cybersecurity room or fireside chat. We're, we're, we are speaking with the uh, Kate Fazzini, who I had not met before today, um, but what an amazing woman um, in our industry. Uh, and what I've learned so far in the first 30 minutes of this call is an amazing person as well. And we're learning so much already. Um, we're here every single week at, at 8 o'clock Eastern time for an hour and a half to you know get to these stories of the people who are making an impact in our industry uh, in the area of cybersecurity and adjacent. And Kate Fazzini, thank you again so much for being here and spending spending um, your time with us tonight. Um, if I'm going to just going to ask one more follow up question um, and then also, you know, encourage everyone to follow the fireside chat. If you just click on that uh, little uh, greenhouse at the very top, you'll be alerted to all of our uh, uh, our guests that we have. Um, and, and we're here again, like I said, every week, but you can also listen to them on, on replay. Um, we'll also be bringing people up from the audience. George, I see you and I will absolutely bring you up because, um, by the way, George is, is, is always comes up with a, an amazing question and another amazing contributor to this organization. Um, what I would say is, um, and just kind of the follow up question before we go into bringing people up into the room. Um, at the very beginning, you talked about that origin story. I'm super curious, though, how you ended up in the field of 
journalism as it relates to uh, cyber? Because that part, I, I don't know if I heard it or if I missed it, but I think I, I'd just love to know how telling that story or telling the story or uh, what, where it was that you ended up in the field of journalism coming out of, you know, JPMC, et cetera. Yeah, that was um, <laughs> another sad story. Um, no, I'm kidding. It's fine. a community. We're here together. Oh, that's all right. I don't, <laughs> I don't cry anymore. It's all right. Um, it's been years. Uh, anyway, um, I, uh, I was at Promontory Financial Group. Um, actually, I, one of my biggest clients uh, was Microsoft, and um, I was almost exclusively working there at the time. Then we, we, it was announced that we were, we were getting acquired by IBM, and so... Um, I ended up getting laid off and I got laid off with like a nice package. So I had some time off and um, I uh, just kind of was talking to some friends. I got a call from uh, a, a friend um, who I can't even remember how I know her, but her name's Emily Glazer and she covers um, the banking industry uh, at the Wall Street Journal. Um, and uh, we, we talked about a cybersecurity um, reporter job that was opening there. And so I, um, she encouraged me to interview for it. And I interviewed for it. I took um, the writing test and uh, apparently passed. Um, although I think some of the editors <laughs> passed me, but um, I had a very wonderful editor named Nick Elliott, um, and uh, it was just a dream job. Uh, and uh, it, it, it was a, a pay cut. I will say that <laughs> out loud. Definitely, it's not a very lucrative industry, um, but it was. The, the absolute time of my life. I have so many stories. I um, I sat on a you know near where the um, investigative reporters sat, and and this was during sort of the Stormy Daniels time period, I guess. Um, and this is also during Wanna Cry and Not Patio were happening when I was there, and um, just uh, I, it was just wonderful. I just got to like marinate in this incredible experience. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I was like, got got picked up by CNBC, um, and uh, I, I did eventually start getting tired of it. <laughs> it's, it's a little repetitive. Um, journalism jobs, you, you kind of you get into a groove of a template, and then every story is kind of put put into that template, and it gets a little bit um, monotonous. Um, and so I, you know, after the pandemic, I just decided that I wanted to go. Um, back into the field uh and and i did and it was great um and it's been great ever since so um i'd love to i, I do you know uh, i do write occasionally i do actually write um i'm on the board of directors of uh, a company called eri um, which is one of the biggest um electronics recyclers uh, in the u.s um we uh i have a column on on secure uh, like security of physical um objects and items and um with our uh, our chairman and founder john shigarian um it's in the uh, la business journal and fresno business journal that's where they're based um so i do still get to write uh and get that out of my system every once in a while but um i i like working in cybersecurity better so i think i'm gonna stay here <laughs> it's safer <laughs> 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 well, I feel like, you know, even as a practitioner where you are now, though, you're, um, you know, as a writer, you're still just so incredibly important to, um, you know, 
helping there are so many there, there are so few people that are technical and also good writers i guess is my point so clearly i'm not even a very good speaker and here i am on a stage so there you go um so with that i'll uh, give it back over to but thank you kate I, this has been such a pleasure meeting you and getting to ask a couple of questions of you but i'll give it back to tomas to to reset and thank you and likewise but, thank you oh thanks kate Wow. Uh, awesome. 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 So far. So uh, look, this is our weekly fireside chat. If you just joined us, you've missed a, a 33 minutes of, uh, of great conversation getting to know uh, Kate Fazzini. Um, you know, Kate, I, I guess I could say I, we, we probably saw it in your future when you were at Chase because you were doing a lot of our, I remember our training awareness, if I wasn't mistaken, right? You, you were sort of uh, spearheading that for us for, for a while, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so that going into journalism and, and working at Promontory, I, I, you probably work with like Judith Pinto and, and, and some former yes. people that I worked with. Judith yeah. Pinto is the yep. most, we, we, she was my best friend there. So um, mm -hmm. I actually was thinking, I, I got her on CNBC once. We were on together. I'll send uh, you a clip. <laughs> yeah, definitely send me the clip. Definitely send me the clip. Uh, Judith, Judith is awesome. I worked with Judith for yeah, many years when I was at Goldman. Uh, her and David Strumpf, I think, was over there as well. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, so what? I, I I lost track. I did not know you went over there. That that is awesome. Uh, but I, I I will say, and I will make this public announcement. I am sorry that I not I did not sort of respond back to your to your messages to be quoted or anything like that on on uh, CNBC. It was you know different sort of timing. <laughs> okay, that's okay. <laughs> Restrictions and whatnot. You're but, like uh, um, <laughs> don't don't expose me now. <laughs> <laughs> more bothering. When I was a reporter, I would just bother people on LinkedIn all the time. Um, so I'm sorry. But, but you know, Kate, I wanna I wanna talk about that sort of desire to to you know. To, I always get the question about like, well, how did you stumble into security, right? And and mm -hmm. and I know you touched upon this a little bit, but you know, maybe for some of the and usually the question comes from uh, uh, either folks that are trying to figure out what they want to do in their careers, if you will. All right. And so, you know, I, I'll say the question to you around, around the same parameters, you know, how did you stumble, if you will, how did you work your way from, you know, English major in college and, and sort of doing uh, and having an interest in, in technology and security, like, like how did, like, where did that start? Was it, was it at a point in time, like early on before college or was it, as you sort of uh, continue to develop and as, as you know, cause you are, you are relatively young in the industry, even though you've, you've done this for a long time. Like, I, and I say that because you, you, you were complaining about your, your, your age earlier. And I'm trying to let you know <laughs> right, that, right. you know, there, there are certain people <laughs> in this room that might, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Well, there are certain people in this room that might be a little bit older than you, you know, my, <clears throat> myself included. Um, so. Oh, I'd know, be shocked, but. Right. Take take us like like take us a little bit of a, on that journey, you know, like 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 w yeah, where those sort know. of interests I and mean, those those key points. I think my first job, I was still in college. I started working as a stringer at the uh, Columbus Dispatch, which is the the newspaper in Columbus, Ohio. And a stringer, if you don't know, is like a cub reporter, like um, somebody who they just you know, the kind of person you can call and say, hey, there's like a zoning meeting that's happening at 11 o'clock in the evening. <laughs> this is like small town and something might happen. Can you go out and cover it? And I think I got paid like $50 a story or something back then. Um, <laughs> it's just 
well, it wasn't a very much money even then. I mean, it was like 2001. Um, but I, I think my where my real overlapping interests were were in, in certainly in communications, but um, in international the international relations and the um, the warfare aspect of it. I I especially um, uh, kind of the, the emerging um, ability of social media uh, to um, you know dictate what people think about things and. Uh, even even back as far as Napster, where people would you know kind of share bootleg um, concerts from different sorts of like freedom fests in countries that weren't really uh, you know open to those sorts of things. And um, I I think I, I studied Arabic in in college as well, and you know 9/11 happened, and that just intensified that interest. Um, and uh, I, I worked on uh, you know, I, I worked really independently for a very long time before coming out to New York um, and, and working as a freelancer, uh, kind of in the, the, the private cybersecurity field. Um, and just, I, I've always liked working independently. Um, I also worked as a journalist um, during that time. Um, I, I had the opportunity as a journalist to, to travel all over the world. Um, I got to uh, cover like all kinds of, I, I worked for some time for um, a, a, a publishing company that did like trade magazines um, in the like hard materials and building materials and um, industries. So I got to go to China and Israel and the West Bank and all these crazy places um, and go to trade shows and factories and um, all of these different things that uh, I could then do write-ups about. Um, I, I wrote about the oil and gas industry um, and you know, there, there were a lot of a lot of technical things in there for some technical trade magazines, um, and so all of these industries uh, had this really interesting um, security issue, <laughs> you know, uh, that was brewing. Whether it was like the ARFID technology for all of these building materials um, and, and ensuring integrity of uh, chips and things when they come from overseas, and um, so that's that's just where like my passion is. I I think almost that this field. I was just talking to a friend actually from from J.P. Morgan uh, just the other day, um, who uh, we were talking about how surreal this job feels sometimes because you know you're like having a normal life and then you go to work and it's like really this intense, internationally tinged, um, extremely important, and yet also kind of crazy and silly thing that you're working on and then it's like you go back to the real world and it's very interesting so um I just don't think I could ever give that up so I, I hope that that's kind of a good answer I don't know <laughs> that's 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 fine that's, that's awesome uh thank, thanks for that um look if you do have a question and you are in the audience and you want to jump up on stage and ask your question uh feel free to raise your hand we'll bring you up if you can't talk for whatever reason <laughs> You know, I know it is. I know it is Wednesday. It's eight forty p.m. Eastern time. And if <laughs> you're in the, had a if few. you're, yeah, somebody's <laughs> probably had a few. Right. Uh, I, I, I'm not gonna say anything about myself, but I'm sure there's there's been a few people that have had a few, and uh, there might be people at the bar. Who knows? Uh, but look, if you do have a question and you want, if you can't jump up up, up on stage, uh, feel free to type it in the chat and we'll read it off uh, to Kate. But I do see George. George, thanks for joining us, and uh, good to see you, my friend. Anything you want to ask, Kate? Hey, yeah, hey guys. Hey, um, Kate, 
super fascinated um, with your your story and um, thank you enthralled <laughs> at the 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 idea of of legacy. So I have a, a question that I think um, Katie and Russell are familiar as a hobby horse of mine, which is kind of the the next generation. So I also came up as a tinkerer, not so much on the freaking side, but on other parts of technology. And, and you know, cyber is one of those industries that has like emerged, been codified and professionalized all within our lifetimes, right? So from, you know, duct taping ports and protocols together up to now we have certifications and all the rest. So as a, a leader, my question is twofold because I'm going to cheat. When you're a manager, I guess my question is, these types of stories of people who came up, you know, hands-on technology, I think it's it's an allure for the industry, but I also think it casts a shadow and maybe the newest generation is constantly suffering from imposter syndrome. I've talked recently with like people who are pivoting from uh, high school history teacher, you know, and they're taking boot camps and they've just always saying like, well, I don't really, I'm not really a technology person. So how do you assuage that as a, as a manager? And then on the, on the leadership side, how do you, how have you worked to get buy-in um, to build out those, those training programs to cultivate quote unquote, unconventional talent? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. Thank you, George. Um, I I think uh, I I say this often when it when it comes to imposter syndrome um, because I suffer grievously from it. Um, but uh, I I was just saying um, the other day uh, that I I every single day I'm struck at some point in the day um, by the thought, uh, am I actually an asshole? Like. <laughs> Am I, am I totally full of shit, you know? Um, and, 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 you know, sometimes I think I might be, uh, but uh, I, like, I, I always stop. Like, there's always a point in the day where I just kind of look up at the computer and I'm like, wait a minute, is this, am I a total fraud? <laughs> you know? And then I, like, have to kind of go back to it. So um, I definitely, uh, I appreciate the, the feeling of imposter syndrome no matter where you are in the journey. Um, I think I've only met one person who does not suffer from it in my entire life, and he was a network engineer, so um, <laughs> knew exactly what he was. Uh, <laughs> I think as any network engineers on this call, they think they, I think they probably know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, but um, besides besides that, uh, you know, from the training point of view, um, it can be a, it can be a real struggle. And um, I see, uh, you know, when we when I bring on employees who have unconventional backgrounds. There's a lot of nervousness. Um, there's a lot of fear of making mistakes. Um, it's it's interesting to me because in the journalism world, um, th there are pretty severe consequences for making mistakes, like especially in your career, if not, um, you know, publicly having uh, some sort of, you know, fallout from that. So that was actually a big change for me because it, it made me realize, like, <clears throat> I think we in in cybersecurity we've all made like mistakes, I mean, you know, bringing down production or something crazy um, in, in, you know, whatever everybody can recall, like their worst things they've ever done. And nothing compares to the, the kind of fear and trepidation I felt when I made a mistake as a journalist. So 
when when I have employees now who who go through that, where you know I see they're afraid of making a mistake in an email to an executive, or they're afraid of um, not telling, giving somebody the right advice about whether an email was phishing or not, and you know, and it and it goes up from that would be like the lowest level fear to the the higher level things. Like, am I going to interpret this wrong? Um, am I going to miss a call when I'm on call? Uh, and and I just I'm constantly trying, and I'm probably not always doing a great job, but but trying to just reassure them that, like, really, um, there are very few mistakes you can make that are going to have a severe consequence. I mean, just don't wire money, okay? <laughs> don't wire anything. Like, that's it. Like, please just, if you get wire instructions, just tell me. But besides that, like, everything else is, you're, you're going to be fine. Um, and I think once people get over that. There's, there's so much fear of, of making mistakes. I, I, I see it more now, I think, that, um, that I'm older, too, that, you know, if, if people can get over that fear. And, you know, sometimes you're going to make a mistake, and the person who is your manager is going to give you tons of shit for it, and unnecessarily. And you might not know that it's unnecessary, but, like, I'm telling you, it probably is. So, just remember that if, you know, if, if you've made some mistake and people are just coming down on you like crazy oh, and, and, you know, you're getting a bad review because of it and all of this stuff, it, like, it's probably unfair. And it's probably for some other reason that's political in nature. So just, um, you know, I, I, I really hope that people can kind of put that fear aside and, um, and make mistakes because, it's, you know, I will quote, Tomas, I will quote David Fairman actually because he gave me some very good advice once, um, and that was that uh, everybody in this field is like their own little entrepreneur. Like you're, this is your business. You are your business, um, and business owners make mistakes all the time. And you know, you read entrepreneur kind of uh, mythology literature, and it's always about you know, fail fast and fail all the time and make mistakes. And but, but when you're in a job as a practitioner, you don't you don't kind of get that advice, right? Um, so I, I would say, t like, like take David Barron's advice to me that I always remember um, and and extend that into your role today that, you know, you are your business um, and business owners try things. They are innovative. They make mistakes. Business owners go bankrupt. They lose their business. They start other businesses, just like you get fired. You know, you go on, you start something else. Um, I, I like that mindset. And I, I think, especially in this field where it's growing so much, there's so much opportunity. And if you get down on yourself, um, you might miss out on some of that. Great. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, George. Thanks for jumping up on stage and uh, and asking your question. I'm, I've got to send that to uh, to Fairman. I know he's in Australia, so uh, he's oh, clearly not like, on right now. It's like Sunday there right now, right? <laughs> it, it probably is. It probably, it probably is. Um, uh, again, if anybody have any questions and you want to jump up on stage, feel free to raise your hand and uh, we will bring you up. I'm just looking at the chat. There's no questions on there. Uh, moderators, any any uh, any other questions? I I didn't look at the back chat, so if anybody has a question, feel free to go. Well, I have one just to lighten it a little bit. Um, Kate, can you tell us something about Tomas? Like, when did the dad joke start for him? Was it in 
the mid 2010s or like when did that start? I, I was a lot younger I don't back know. then, Katie. So, so no, no dad jokes. No she doesn't even know. Oh, no. you really waited till a lot later in life. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know about this side of Oh, before. yes. Tomas, I'll tell you, I, I, I didn't, I don't think we sat next to this very long, so I don't have a lot of like stories other than David. Fanning. It was usually when I was in New York. You. For, yeah, yes, it was usually when I was right. in New York. Because oh, I was Jersey okay. based. Yeah. You were in New Jersey and I, I worked in New Jersey sometimes too. Okay. That's right. Um, but Tomas, I, I, I just have nothing but good things to say. I know it's boring, but uh, he was always head down and just like working really hard. He was always there before I got in and was always there when I left. <laughs> Don't worry, the check, um, the check is in the, the mail, CISO. Kate. The check he's is the in the CISO, mail. He's the CISO, and I'm the director of information security. On my <laughs> the, the check I is in the, the mail, Kate. Yet. Don't worry, I got you. Oh, all right, all right. Mail. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, that's uh, <laughs> so we Kate, had we had quite a wild ride there, though. Um, it it look, it was it was a fun time at uh, at, at Chase. I will tell you that, and. You know what's interesting, or, or not interesting. What's what's fabulous about the people that we work with um, is that if you look across the board and maybe across LinkedIn, you'll see that everybody, including yourself, are doing fascinating things with their career. And so yeah. that that core group of people within that we work with, it, it's just you know I'm honored and privileged to one work aside alongside your, yourself and 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 others um, that we did have the opportunity to work with. So. It's Absolutely. been a great ride. Yeah, it's been. It, it seems like an interesting class of people from that that time period. Yeah, That's Stephen Ward out there. Yep, it's definitely it definitely it de he's definitely making like, they're definitely making money. Those guys. It definitely aged me. I can tell you that much. I don't know if it aged you, but it aged me a oh, lot. Working. Jesus, you know, we well, I won't talk about it because I'm sure it's not appropriate for me to talk about. But there was something that happened there once that coincided with my house burning down i had like our, my apartment building in queens there was like this guy hired a, a plumber um, a non-bonded plumber to do some work and i ended up um catching the entire building on fire and like i'm laughing because nobody got hurt uh but the building was just totaled and like we were out of that place it was my first home purchase i had bought it like six months prior um and we were for like two and a half years or something like that but that happened right, right and they chase actually put me up in a like apartment in the city to to deal with the issue that was going on and um they were really it was incredible it's such a weird experience though it's so weird it's so surreal what a what a time I guess it was kind of ironic because we were dealing with an incident around that time period. So it's, uh, <laughs> you were dealing with two incidents. <laughs> but, uh, look, David, uh, David Elcock, good to see you, my friend, or, or see your avatar. And I'm sure we're, we're going to hear you in a second. So go ahead, unmike, and uh, anything you want to ask Kate. Can you hear me, Tomas? Uh, yeah, yeah, we can yep. hear you. Sorry, got my, hey. I'm, I'm a little distracted. I'm driving, but I had a question that I wanted to ask about um, the the office environment. I, you know, there's a company that I that I sort of represent. That today they had a webinar that was focused around um, mental health in the workplace, especially for folks that are tasked with some of these really critical uh, critical positions to help safeguard the their company's infrastructure, safeguard their prop their intellectual property. 
uh, and you were talking about um, you were talking about giving people a space or making the environment uh, making the environment pleasant. <laughs> I'll use that term. Mm-hmm. Pleasant. Is it? Is it? Well, and my question is kind of twofold. But one is this: it, you know, we were having this conversation about mental health, and of course, we were talking about CISOs and CIOs mostly. But then it trickled down, or it's it it scaled down to the folks that work for them that direct that report directly to them. Do you see this as a as a concern or a challenge in the industry? Oh yeah, definitely. I I um I when I when I worked with a journal, I interviewed a couple of different CISOs who had been through some major incidents, and and they discussed. I mean, having to. I mean, this was these were like some major shutdowns, like that may have may have caused. Um, the companies to collapse and they discussed how they actually brought in like PTSD counselors for some of their cybersecurity professionals um, to, you know, like this was a, are we going to lose this company or not kind of scenario. Um, That's really hard on people. And, you know, I, I sometimes think of the, uh, the Equifax incident. um, And if you recall, uh, I think it's in congressional testimony, the former CEO, you know, mentioned that it was like the the fault of some uh, engineer, I think, in like one of their lines of business, like like way down the food chain. And he was he was rightfully called out for for doing that because it was just kind of petty. And you know, you, you're the CEO, you can't blame like you know some uh, associate engineer, you know, uh, for a major incident like that. But I, I think, think it was an intern, actually, Kay. I think it was an, an intern. Oh, geez. I mean, come on. That makes me so mad. But but it but it's things like that that are, are very affecting to the mental health of people in this field because they think, again, it goes back to the issue of mistakes. If I make that mistake, am I going to be like this Equifax guy? And that's why, you know, as a manager, I, I encourage people to, it, it might seem kind of dry, but you do have to surface these obvious flaws in strategy, in your in your stack, whatever it is, up up to senior management, say you have been warned about this problem, <laughs> and and therefore, if something goes wrong, you know this is what I would need to to solve the problem. I would need this many more people, or this this kind of tool, or whatever it is, and I can have it. Or if I don't, it is your fault. <laughs> like, but that is that is a that is a matter of communication. It's and it's I I believe that it's that. It's that communication that creates a bridge between, you know, your employees feeling like they're out on a ledge and and them feeling like senior management is informed of all of the things that, you know, they need to be. If there's a problem, um, the, the buck stops in the appropriate place, uh, if that makes sense. You know, so so first of all, thank you for that, because that's, that's so it's very informative and, and it feels like it's coming directly out of you. You know, some <laughs> so uh, if, you know, for that, for that, uh, thank you for that. Uh, the course, the questions you. that we started with were around senior management feeling um, vulnerable and comfortable enough. And I earlier heard you say that vulnerability is probably a big skill set or a big tool that se- mm-hmm. senior managers should have. The environment that that you all work in, it doesn't seem like it's. I don't know if the word is appropriate or acceptable that you as a senior manager come to someone and say, I've got a problem. I've got some challenges. And, mm-hmm. and you know, you're performing, you're, everything is going good. You're performing well, but now you personally have some things that you're dealing with. Mm-hmm. And being able to actually say that comfortably 
and 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 it be accepted. What's your what's your what's your feelings or take or position on that? And I've got one more question. I promise that'll be my last. Absolutely, no. This is great. Thank you. Um, uh, uh, the uh, the fear of I think everybody who does these kinds of things is that people won't have questions. <laughs> so so thank you. I appreciate it. Um, so I think you just have to cultivate first of all a relationship um, with your employees, and it takes time. Um, you know, unfortunately, with so much turnover, uh, that that kind of hurts the ability to create those relationships. But um, you know, create a relationship where you're you're there to listen, um, and and where you also you know recognize that if somebody who performs a certain way has a change in that performance, um, and sometimes the change isn't what you expect, as in like often you know they're not doing as much as they used to, or they're having a, a falling off in, in performance, being able to tell the difference between that, that kind of um, change in performance and ask them if, what's happening um, versus, you know, somebody who's consistently underperforming or um, it has just kind of checked out of the job um, is, is a skill set that's important. Um, but as the employee, I, it, it can be really difficult because there are a lot of different management styles. Um, there are a lot of people who, and uh, I mean, I, I think as, as a woman in this industry, and I, I've been on a lot of, you know, in a lot of meetings and stuff where it's, I'm the only woman, um, and I, I do, you know, especially if the room's filled with engineers, there's a lot of um, sort of locker room mentality. You know, people are snapping towels at each other, uh, making fun of each other. There's, um, you know, a lot of long hours, a lot of of that and, and in that environment it becomes kind of hard uh for people to say you know i need to step back i'm dealing with a sick parent i have you know um having issues finding childcare, and i just can't commit the amount of time that i used to um that people will worry that that's going to be met with um the same kind of reaction and i mean i, I think as managers you just have to work on that culture and you know there's a there's a certain culture around this this kind of stuff that um, is is a little bit sarcastic and and funny and that sort of thing, um, but you just need to be sure that that other side is also there so that uh, people feel comfortable stepping back when they need to. Um, and as an employee, yeah, you have to. The the only thing um, some people feel like they can't step back, uh, but you you just have to break through that wall um, and. I've certainly found that once you start standing up for yourself, advocating for yourself, um, nothing but good things happen from that. Um, you know, your performance is better and people can see that it's better. And, and I have never had somebody actually come back and say, you know, no, that's unacceptable. Um, there are certainly managers who, who do. I, I hear stories all the time. Um, I wish people weren't like that, but uh, it does happen. But it doesn't mean that you can't. You, you do have to keep kind of pushing for yourself, unfortunately. I hope that makes sense. <laughs> good, good, answer, good answer. Um, as I promised last question, um, earlier you were talking about how you asked some of your direct reports and folks that report to you, what do you really want to do? I was um, part of a, I was experiencing, um, what is it, Joe Gibbs, uh, Joe Gibbs training, leadership training, in that leadership training, they talk about um, managing your energy with things that are 
that are appropriate for you, things that are for you, things that you want to do rather than managing your time or managing your career. Just manage your energy and it leads to better healthy outcomes or better, better mindful, spiritual, blah, blah, blah. All those things, outcomes, well, not blah, blah, blah. I don't mean that. I mean, <laughs> no, no. I, don't <laughs> I, mean, mean. <laughs> I mean, those things are really important, even if you're a CISO, right? Who you are, is, it's, it's, it's what you, CISO is what you do. It's not who you are necessarily. So so what is your, what is your thought, thoughts on mining your energy um, more so than mining your management, manage, managing your energy rather than managing your time or managing your career. How do you feel about that? Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting question. I I think that my greatest lesson in energy management has come from the pandemic um, because there was just there were so many different um, things pulling on on energy, and uh, I think we take for granted a lot of times um, how much energy is mental energy encompasses that when you're thinking about something um, for a very long time, or, you know, especially if you're sitting down and doing focused work where um, you're, you're dealing with an issue or you're writing um, a report or whatever it is that's, that's focused, that that takes a lot out of you. Um, and there are, you know, I, I started to notice that um, in the mornings, when we started doing the at-home school, and I had, I had my, my kids are young, so um, I had one in kindergarten when the thing started. Gosh, she's going into second grade. I can't believe how long this has lasted. But um, she was in kindergarten, and and my son was in second grade, and you know we had like two different rooms with the, I mean the bandwidth on the Wi-Fi was just being like brought down <laughs> to its lowest level, and I would spend the first part of the morning getting them set up and then trying to troubleshoot online classrooms for a kindergartner and a second grader and, you know, bathroom breaks and lunches being prepared. And, and I was just like, I, I can't think after this. Like it's so much mental energy. Um, and it, it's just by the time 10 o'clock rolled around, I was like, I'm done. I can't, I can't do any more thinking today. Um, but of course the day is not finished then. So I think that really taught me how valuable it is to just kind of step aside a little bit, re-energize your, your brain, don't think about anything for maybe 10 minutes, stare at the wall. Um, I, I'm somebody who's like, I'm so hyper that I can't do meditation, so I've tried it, like it doesn't work for me. Um, I can't do yoga, like it's just too static. <laughs> Like um, I'm, I'm really always kind of hyped up, but but being able to just stop for a minute has has been really helpful. And um, I think you know, mental energy, physical energy, all of that stuff. Um, it's tough when when you ask somebody to be on. And this is my my thing about 24/7 schedules is that you have a lot of people who work in cybersecurity are constantly thinking about it, and you can't stop because no matter what, you know, if something goes wrong, you're going to get a call. Um, especially if you're the CISO, uh, you're, you're going to get a call. And, and so it is, no matter what, you're, what you think it is, it is a 24-7 schedule. You're always, like, expending some version of energy towards it. So, um, yeah, I think that, that definitely being able to really carefully box out what you do can be beneficial. And today I feel like I feel much like I have much more control over that, you know. Um, plus my kids are now a little bit older, so I can just say, put the shoes on yourself and you, know, um, you can you can do it uh, I'm, I'm out of that game 
Um, I hope that's helpful. <laughs> it's not perfect, but uh, it is what it is. Yeah, thanks very much for answering and entertaining my questions. Uh, Absolutely. Thank you so much. Really yeah. Hey, Tomas, thanks, uh, thanks for letting me talk, uh, Katie and uh, Kate and Lisa and um, Russell and Anel. Thanks, guys. Uh, haven't been around for a bit, been busy, but thanks very much for letting me jump on stage. Appreciate it. No, thanks, David. It's always good to uh, have you contribute to the conversation. And, you know, I, I, I'll say a, a couple of things in, in with respect to one of your earlier comments there, Kate, you know, the mental health aspect of what we do as CISOs, I jokingly tell people, I wish I wish I could get paid the same amount as baseball players where they only have to be correct or hit the ball 25% of the time and they're making millions. <laughs> Imagine if I could if I could be correct at my job twenty five percent maybe let's say thirty percent I was a I was an all star hitter thirty percent or thirty five percent of the time like that would be fantastic and it's it's the unfortunate reality and maybe it's I don't know about it I don't know if it's the unfortunate reality maybe it's more self pressure if you will but if you're wrong in the in the CISO profession, it, it becomes a, a challenging conversation, yeah. right? With leadership. And it's, you know, you, you mentioned the comment around, um, which I agree with the comment around how the entrepreneurial books or the leadership books, they fail and fail fast. And, 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 and I've, I've even sort of told people that as well, right? And I, and I strongly believe that. But then I also, in the same, in the same vein, I also think about like what I do for a living. And it's like, if I fail too many times, it's not going to be an acceptable sort of failure, right? It's like, well, you failed and you probably failed in a, in a bad way. We need to find another leader to do the job. And so, you know, that stress that we carry as, as mm -hmm. CISO or security practitioners, depend, it doesn't matter whether you're CISO or anywhere in that chain, right? Um, being a security practitioner, you have that level of integrity and responsibility to your customer, that level of integrity and responsibility to your colleague, right? Mm -hmm. If you really truly believe in this in this profession and what you do, and that level of stress, it doesn't go away. And it's very, very difficult. A lot of people struggle with that. And it's very important that we, you know, address it, right? Address that there is a, a challenge there. And that we spend time talking about it and we try to cultivate better working environments to to breed um uh, less stress if you will or manageable stress i'll say right so because mm -hmm. i think security practitioners is, it's never going to be less stress but it's just manageable stress so anyways i wanted to, i wanted to, to add that or, or contribute to that but i don't want to take away from from your comments and what you said because i i agree with, with with everything that you said no absolutely and, and i agree with that too i think um I think I've, I've almost taken a like radically different view too of um, certainly the responsibility to my colleagues and everything is, is, is something that definitely keeps me up at night. Um, but I, I, now I, I've been on a board and I've actually had um, the experience of like asking my CIO and um, we head of cybersecurity questions and kind of seeing the look of, Terror <laughs> you know in my mind i'm asking these like i'm just kind of a curiosity i'm like oh i'm just interested in what you're doing and and it's like 
that's causing him a lot of stress. And he thinks that if he says the wrong thing, <laughs> like um, it's curtains, you know, <laughs> or he can't get it. I mean, it, it just kind of depends. And I think, um, you know, uh, there's, there's mistakes and then there's uh, just being a consistent leader over the years. And I think that, that doing that as you have Tomas kind of gives you some cushion. Um, yeah. And it's, and it's, uh, it's, and it's a, uh, sorry to interrupt you, and it's, you no, know, no. sort of, uh, sort of, you know, I'll, I'll say planting the seed, right? Because mm -hmm. there is no shortage of breaches or, or compromises on the news and, you know, making sure any good CISO will, will come in or any good security practitioner will come in and say, look, security is everybody's job, which is a true statement, right? But it's also the, the, the reason why we say that is because, look, we can't solve every single problem. And the other reason why we say that is it's almost hedging a bit, right? It's like letting people know, look, it's not so much that we that we might potentially get breached or compromised, but it's really how do we respond? And it's preparing the organization to think in that mindset of like, look, you know, you have to expect that the cost of doing business, there will be some sort of, the cost of doing business on the internet, there will be some sort of repercussions. And those repercussions, our mm -hmm. goal is to minimize those uh, so that they're not, they're not right. business damaging, but you put them in the same vein as like, you know, I'll go to our financial services days as credit risk and market risk, right? Those mm -hmm. sort of risk management functions that are very well defined. And, and I'll say the security, the cybersecurity function is, is defined, but it's not as established as like credit no. risk and market risk. If you think about it from a financial standpoint, mm -hmm. but there's companies, financial services companies that have budgets associated with how much money they're willing to lose because they know that there will be some level of fraud, if you will. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's not that they're willing to lose it, but they understand that that is the risk and the cost of doing business for credit card transactions per se. So that mindset needs to apply for technology risk and inform or information risk or information security risk. Right. And until we, not until we get there, cause I think we're, we're pretty far, far along there. And I think there's a lot of, uh, very progressive CISOs and very progressive organizations that understand that. Um, I think they start to allocate, it's not allocate, I think they start to, to, to condition themselves that look, it's not, it's not so much as if we get breaches, what do we do when that actually happens? And then mm -hmm. how do we actually respond and recover and control the narrative, right? To be able to come out on the, on the better side. But, um, Anyways, I'm sorry. I'm got, I've, I don't usually uh, get into these sort of long monologues myself. Oh I no, like no, to this is great. Focus on <laughs> on you, uh, on you being our, our guest at the fireside chat. But mm -hmm. it is nine twelve p.m. Eastern time. Just very very quick reset room reset. If you just joined us, we've been having a very fascinating conversation with a with a fascinating individual that I've had the privilege to work with alongside uh, Kate Fazzini. Uh, so. I encourage you, if you just joined us, to, to listen to the playback shortly after this is uh, this is done, uh, because you you've missed a good conversation so far. But those that have, that have been here from the beginning uh, and have stuck through us, uh, thank you. And uh, Jennifer, always great to uh, have you uh, join the conversation. Over to you. Thanks, Tomas and Kate. I highly recommend you come back. I have never heard so many words from Tomas uh, in a room, and he he uh, was was getting through some of my questions there, but I'm going to narrow <laughs> right. them a little bit. Yeah, he, he, he's definitely excited to talk to you. Um, he kind of got into it. So, so a theme I wanted to ask you, so I'm coming at this uh, similar, I, I'm an attorney. And so when you were talking about um, 
sort of failures, like how you handle failures. And, and then Tommaso was saying you can only fail so many times. I would look at it and go, it was like, well, how are you defining failure? Like everyone's going to get breached, right? So is that the failure or is the failure in that you, the company, the company really handled something badly or the person really handled something badly? Because in my world, um, we may screw something up or not have, have you know, we, we may lose something or not have handled it best, but it's not a personal failure or a team failure. I would say um, if we've done the right expectation setting, like how do you handle expectation setting up front, both with the people you know, like you're reporting to the executive management, getting their understanding of what needs to be done. Like, so for you, it'd be like budget or your knowledge of this, and then your team's expectations of their role. And then when things aren't going, I would say like how you're in your management role, how you handle it when it's not like, like I wouldn't consider it a failure if you, if like to put it in, in your world, if something was breached, if you had done all the right process and procedure behind it, and this still happened, or this was what you were limited to that the company decided, you know, based on a risk evaluation, this is how much money they're going to put towards it. So I was just kind of wondering how you navigate sort of that. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, yeah. that's, it's a good question. Um, and the, uh, I think, you know, to some extent, I, I think that when you go into this field, especially if you're in management at any level, you have to, um, you know, for your own, your own personal risk is you, you do understand that um, if something goes very wrong, um, if it was your fault that you might get fired, if it goes very wrong and it wasn't your fault, you might also get fired and that you might, you, you are, you know, essentially being, being paid as a kind of sacrificial lamb, um, as in to say, this program had better go well, but if we have a major incident, um, you know, you're the one who's going to take the heat for it. Uh, and you see that with a lot of these breaches, you see the CISO ending up testifying before Congress, um, sometimes deer in the headlights, I'm <laughs> very well. Uh, but um, I think, you know, and this, another kind of illustrative example is, is Equifax. Um, you know, the, the failure, as Tomas kind of illustrated, was not in the breach as much as it was in the response, um, a really a very tone deaf response. I, I, I personally think that, you know, it kind of continued to be that way um, up until uh, there were some machinations from the, I think, New York um, Department of Financial Services about, uh, you know, holding them to um, what they were going to do for consumers afterwards. But um, there, there was, you know, it, it's, being able to um, figure out what is the response that your customers want uh, from that. Um, and, you know, that, of course, who are Equifax's customers? That's kind of a good question. You know, are, are they consumers or are they the banks that are using the, the stuff? You know, who who is it that, that they would try to please in that case? But, I mean, for, for most of us, we would think, like, what, what would our customers want to do? And I think when I'm approaching any incident, that's what I'm thinking is um, what's the thing. And, and, and sometimes it's, it's um, almost like a selfish calculation because you're thinking, or at least I'm thinking maybe because I have a media background, but what's the thing that if it, if it came out in the news, what would be the mitigating factor? And would it be that we, we did this so fast 
to take care of our customers. We notified them as soon as we heard about it. Is it that, you know, we made available for them credit monitoring before we we even um, knew very much about the incident? What What is the thing that the customer um, is going to make them feel the best? And I think if you if you work toward that, as far as when when something goes wrong, if you work towards, and, and as a as an attorney, of course, it's the same thing with clients. Um, you know, uh, you you accept the fact that if something goes wrong, you could lose the client. Um, and you also, if if something does go wrong, you're thinking, what is in the client's best interest? What is um, the thing that is going to, you know, make this work out for them in the end? Um, and and yeah, I think just focusing on the the end user. Um, or the investors, or whatever it is that is relevant to your business, um, is is one way to kind of go about doing that. And if and if it's still so bad, do you get fired? Again, you know, that isn't the end of the world. <laughs> like like there is, uh, it, it feels that way uh, sometimes. I think, but um, you know, I, I have seen so many really good cybersecurity professionals who have. Um, had major incidents that resulted in them losing their jobs, um, just come back and, and have even better careers afterwards. So um, there's there's just, you know, uh, I, I don't really think there's any cliff that you could fall off of and that, that's a disastrous thing. I mean, unless you decide to do espionage for like a foreign entity or something like that. Yeah, okay, that's a great, that's a great synopsis. I think there's two, two big themes I just took out of this. One is um, that that uh, you guys are, are disliked or the the sheep more than legal i'm I, you know, i'm glad to hear that legal is usually the worst party in the room and um also <laughs> the, the most hated the most hated and avoided department but um no way also, i love <laughs> i love the legal department well, I have, and if you like, have a good my yeah. one, so <laughs> as long as you have a good legal department as long as you have a good yeah and i have some funny jokes about that one but the other one is also it's um it's it's everything's an engagement or it's an ongoing activity as you said so it's how you handle it right so who are the customers and who are the people that were damaged or who are the people that you need to talk to another good example that's recent was aka i couldn't believe their pr releases after their breach was disclosed it took them about a week to correct those but i was pretty surprised so again, it's who's your client. Like the example for me mm -hmm. is my client is my company who wants me to close a deal, but it's also the opposing counsel is my client in any negotiation because that's who I have to appease and, and make sure I'm meeting their interests. Right. Mm -hmm. So anyway, so super, yeah, super helpful that that thought process because a lot of people don't see broadly to see who, you know, what is the ongoing engagement mitigating factors? How do you handle the entire scenario? And then who, who is, who are you addressing it to? So thanks so much. Exactly, exactly. Yep. Thank you. Thanks, Jennifer. Thanks for uh, jumping up on and asking your questions. Tomas, I'm surprised you have any words left after that earlier diet. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I, you know, Octavia is not on here. Octavia is not on here to give me the, uh, to give me it tonight uh, with my dad jokes. So Jennifer just is, uh, is taking up the, uh, the mantle, I guess, for Octavia. Um, look, it's been a it's been a very fascinating conversation, and and it is true. I don't usually uh, try to overshadow our guests by oh, talking yes. too much. I appreciate uh, it. I appreciate it. Um, we're, all, we're old buddies. All right, we we sure <laughs> are, and 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 I am excited that you're here, and I'm I'm happy and pleased that you that you decided to do this. So, yeah, uh, thank too. you for for your time. Um, 
Look, if there is anybody else in the audience that has a question, uh, feel free to raise your hand and we'll bring you up on stage. I'll pass it back to our moderators uh, to ask you another question and then we will start to conclude it. We have about 10 minutes or so left because I want to be respectful of everybody's time. My moderators are silent. Oh, there she is. There's Katie. Well, no, I'd always ask, um, you know, at this point, I'm an avid reader, listener of podcasts, um, you know, trying to find time, but, you know, as a, as a busy mom and, and, uh, you know, see, so figuring out where I can get all that stuff in and, and be able to, uh, move forward with, uh, my education. So, so what are you reading? What are you listening to? Is there anything that you'd give us as like a, um, you know, best thing you've listened to in the last three months moment? Oh gosh, I, um, for podcasts, I was like, I was like, I've really been getting back into opera lately, but um, I just got tickets to Romeo and Juliet nice. at the Met uh, this, <laughs> this Friday, so um, I'm psyched about that. But that's what I'm listening to um, these days. But uh, podcasts, so I, you know, um, I one of my favorite uh, podcasts is done by a guy named George Reedus, who me and Tomas used to, to work with. Um, he has a, a really uh, interesting podcast where he brings on he's a former secret service person um he kind of brings on people who come from that law enforcement background and then besides that i'm like i'm a huge true crime fan and and i honestly get a lot out of just these really dry procedural kind of um podcasts that go over different cases because there's always so many elements that i feel like are, are relevant to my job and then it's also like a little bit of a break from my job to think about something else although Obviously, I'm not uh, doing the most optimistic type of pursuits in my off time, am I? Um, but uh, yeah, I, I'm really interested in in true crime. I'm, I've I've been very interested in organized crime as well. So um, anything related to that, I've been uh, kind of soaking up. Um, and and I've I've learned a lot. Um, there was actually, and I live in Fort Lee, New Jersey, by the way, where like around where they filmed The Sopranos. Um, in fact, I think the Bada Bing is like right up the street from me, which gives you an idea of the kind of neighborhood I live in. Um, but, uh, it's uh, it's a very interesting um, interesting place, and we just had a, a case recently that involved um, the Italian mafia and proceeds from different kinds of cybercrime, and I was really fascinated by that. And I think learning about how these criminal organizations are structured, um, and you know bringing that into how the, the, the criminals who are kind of our adversaries in cyberspace are similarly structured is something that's really interesting to me. So I'm sorry that wasn't so specific, but uh, yeah, I've been really into organized crime stuff lately. And and the Russian mafia stuff is so interesting, um, especially with, with uh, you know, the, the war and what's going on there and how they interact with um, the politics. So fascinating. Well, I'll say, Kate, um... There are a few times that I wish this was an audio app. I just, if you could have seen my face, like, absolutely. This is what we're all talking about. Uh, I, I just got a text from somebody in the room, like, yes, like this is, we were just talking about this yesterday. So yeah, we, there is a ton of correlation to our mm -hmm. daily lives and all of these, what some people feel are almost cinematic and outside of our reality, but it is our reality. So I do appreciate mm -hmm. that you are paying attention to those things and, and with, 
um, and also there is some entertainment in um, uh, when they they put it all together in these docu series as well, and just um, yeah. And I thought, thought of that too. I think I think um, you know my my million dollar idea, or probably like my thousand dollar idea, is that um, <laughs> there should definitely be a true crime podcast or cybersecurity that's actually interesting. Like, yes. so like, like if you read some of the um, indictments, like if you read, oh God, the Russia hacking one, um, if you read like some of the North Korea stuff, um, the, uh, the Huawei, uh, the, the, the back and forth that's been going on there and, you know, T-Mobile and Huawei and these like espionage, apparently Huawei sent over these, supposed, you know, like students who were going into T-Mobile labs. And th this is one of my favorite stories. I didn't write it at CNBC, somebody else did, but um, Steve Kovach, I'm sorry, I should say his name or it'll be pissed at me. Um, <laughs> Steve Kovach wrote this story, one of the, the San Francisco editors. Um, he, it was about, they have this robot um, that they use that, that is just like a butt with jeans on and the phone is put in the back pocket of the butt and it sits down over and over again like a hundred thousand times you know to test how much the phone could be um you know used. so well wait anyway I, I love that aspect of the indictment because it, it, it involved um the Huawei people coming over there and copying their design for like the butt machine that sits on phones um so anyway that is very cinematic but it's also it's just the perfect like kind of IP theft story, I think. Um, anyway, <laughs> sorry to have digressed into um, some vulgarities here at the end, guys. But, yeah, nine thirty on a Wednesday night, so <laughs> that's it. Wow, uh, we, your, we, yeah, uh, your bedtime we... <laughs> alarm did go off an hour ago, so we yeah we get you, we feel you yeah, exactly. And, and I and I guess we've come full circle with uh, you know the Amish upbringing, the Bada Bean Club, and uh, and everything in between. <laughs> right. So uh, yeah, wow, exactly. um, you know, and you mentioned George Readers. I I I need to reach out to George because yeah, you're right. His Task Force Seven Radio podcast mm -hmm. it, it actually is a Very pretty good. decent one. Gotta get, I gotta get George on this side of the table. He had me on his side. I gotta get him on this side. So that'll be an interesting conversation. Uh, look, it is 9.27 p.m. Eastern time. We are going to start to uh, conclude or, or start to wrap up our, our show this evening. I know folks uh, don't want it to end, but I, again, we do want to be respectful of everybody's time and Kate's, uh, Kate's bedtime, is <laughs> <Her> bedtime <laughs> alarm did go off. So, uh, so uh, if you it, just very quick announcement, uh, please join us back next week. We do have uh, another fireside chat because we do this every single Wednesday. Uh, next week is Kendrick Trotter, who's the founder at Us in Technology. So please uh, tune in to us uh, next week. And, and I'm sure that would be a really interesting conversation. Um, so, Kate, I usually like to ask this question and uh, and I, I probably should be more respectful of my moderators. Moderators, any final questions before I sort of ask that uh, typical last question? All right, hearing silence from the mod. So Kate, I usually like to ask this last question and it's, it's really, you know, a self, I'll call it a self-reflection question. So if you had any piece of advice for the younger you, what would it be and why? Mm -hmm. Oh, don't marry that guy. <laughs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. I think we can all agree. Beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> no, 
No, um, I really, that is, that is it. But uh, I think just um, enjoy the ride, you know, uh, it's, it also just keeps getting harder and that's okay. You just have to keep getting more resilient. Um, unfortunately, kind of like cybersecurity, right? It's never going to get easier. Um, it's never going to get better. We just have to keep getting more resilient. Um, so yeah, get more resilient. <laughs> that's it. Awesome. Well, Kate, look, uh, uh, I sincerely appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to join us this evening. Um, so um, a million thank yous to you. Uh, hopefully you had a good time. I know I did. And, uh, you know, I'm sure the moderators, uh, I'll shut up and I'll let them say a few words before we kind of bring us home. Thanks, Kate. Appreciate you sharing yeah. insights throughout the night. Was, yeah, thank you been, guys so much. Thank you. You you've been an absolute inspiration. So thank you for for being with us in this moment and for sharing part of what makes you you. Absolutely. Thank you guys so much. And thank you all for sharing so much. Um this was terrific and I'm looking forward to hearing some more of these. So uh I'll see you guys again. That would just be my final thought is, yeah, don't be a stranger, Kate. Please, please come back and, you know, continue to contribute to this community. But, yeah, I'd love to stay in touch and um, just really appreciated your candor and your insight. And what an amazing evening. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Yeah, totally great. An amazing night. Thank you, Kate, for spending it with us here on Clubhouse on behalf of ourselves as well as those listening in live and on the replay. Thank you. And I'm, I'm pretty proud of myself. I didn't mess up your name, Kate even though I thought I would uh, okay. because because Katie's with us and I'm used to saying Katie so much because I we, we chat every week but uh Kate I'll leave you with some final words and bring us home sure of course um just thank you guys I think it's so important uh for cyber security professionals to talk to each other communication is probably the biggest uh difficulty in this field so um this is really a critical thing and um keep it up thank you Tomas for putting it together Awesome. Thank you. Uh, thank you, everybody, for joining us this evening. Uh, we'll see you back next week. Have a good rest of your week. Uh, hopefully it's enjoyable and peaceful, and you can enjoy the rest of the sort of nice weather wherever you are. Uh, see you guys next week. Cheers. Bye, everybody. Bye. 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 Good night. Bye, everyone. Good night.